For me, I think a voice and a song in particular carries with it a human experience at its simplest and often its rawest. Music has always been a vehicle for the spirit of people, the spirit of the times and the stories of people. And where we believe those stories, that's empathy in action. And that's where action can begin. Here, and this is Cry Power, my podcast about people who are using what's available to them to change the world. Presented with our friends at Global Citizen, on each episode I'll be sitting down with people who are putting themselves out there to support a cause that's dear to them. I'll be talking to people whose work is making a real difference, musicians, artists, or just some of my heroes. Thank you. Thank you, Ifra, for, for, for joining me on the Cry Power podcast. I want to say First of all, a huge well, welcome and thank you for your time. I know you have a very busy schedule today. I know we've been kind of, I've been on your heels uh, the last the last few days. So you've, you've been traveling and doing doing as much chatting to people as, as I have. And congratulations uh, over the last the last few years with some incredible milestones. I'm looking forward to speaking to you about. But thank you for, for joining me here in, in, in Dublin. Thank you for having me. Actually, it's it's really great uh, platform for for my campaign and the cause, and you know, in the young Irish generation to mm-hmm. actually hear more and listen to it. So it's really amazing that um, you picked it. First of all, your per- personal story is an incredible one. Um, for for those who 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 aren't aware, and just just to give a, a broad picture for people, you set up the the IFRA Foundation, which is, is working towards legislation. Both here, which has been a huge success, and in Somalia also in banning the practice of female genital mutilation. Just, just, to, just to give a broad, you know, a, a picture to those who wouldn't be familiar. Would you mind? Just no, um, as you said, female genital mutilation. Because usually, you know, some of the people who actually talk to others, they just, in short, they say FGM, and a lot of people would not really understand. But uh, Female genital mutilation is a cutting and it's just actually a cultural practice. And for example, in Somalia, uh, 98% community do practice uh, mm-hmm. where I come from originally. And it practiced 54 countries, um, including some of the Asian countries. Um, about the foundation, uh, before I go into the foundation, I start my mm-hmm. personal because uh, that is my journey to get into mm-hmm. the foundation. So, um, and you mentioned about the FGM legislation in Ireland. Um, I started because of my personal experience. Mm-hmm. I came to Ireland and um, as a refugee, mm-hmm. and it was really hard. Uh, to go through on medical check and all that. I've heard you say before, you know, obviously refugees would face medical screenings, etc. But in Ireland here, there was very, very little, little to no knowledge uh, of of FGM and 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 it, that was your experience. That. Yeah, it was because uh, you know, like when you're a refugee uh, or asylum and you come to the country, you have to go through on a, a medical check, mm-hmm. and it's for every person who comes to seek asylum here. So when I came, I was explained that I have to go through on medical check and I have to accept it because I was even undermined because I was 17. And then I said, okay. And I remember I have to do blood tests and all that. And then I have to do something called the smear test, which I never know. And 
in culturally in my country, the women who does the Smith test is just women who are married, who who's pregnant, who have babies and things like that. But um, I didn't know I had a choice to say no or anything. But I have to accept everything I was told. I see. And because my translator also was a man, which is really mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. And then I went to room with uh, with two female first, and then I was told to lie down on the bed, I, which I did. And then they wanted to do the test, but uh, soon the lady took the thing that she was trying to take the sample. Mm-hmm. She just screamed, saying "Jesus Christ!" and you know. She looked completely shocked, and then I was like, uh, "Why?" And she, she was asking me, like, "Why did what happened to me? How did I get this?" And all that kind of things. And then I was completely shocked because, you know, for me, is something normal. Yeah, and I, yeah. as a young girl, and I was actually kind of saying that uh, this is normal. Is mm-hmm. actually something that um, every young woman goes through. Mm-hmm. And the lady, she called other doctors. And then last minute, I found the people were surrounding me and just keep asking all these questions. Mm -hmm. And I get really upset because I didn't know, you know, when you explained about uh, things, only thing I know when I was in Africa was HIV AIDS. And I remember people were saying that people who have HIV AIDS, they can die and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things comes to my head is like, do I actually have it? Or are they going to tell me now you're going to die or things like that? So it was really hard. And then um, I looked around and the guy was saying, oh, they're asking you how this is happening. And I was keep saying that this is, you know, my culture and this is normal. But uh, it was very hard for those people to understand. Mm I would say a very disconcerting experience, quite a frightening experience, when a medical professional is uh, is, is 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 exclaiming and freaking out, and and uh, you know, and it's something that yeah, that you you would think they would they would they would have knowledge of, and yeah, I mean, like you think it's like um, now I know because a lot of people actually need to be educated, and it's not necessary that you know the whole country should know, but like people who works in a medical profession, mm-hmm. as you said, mm-hmm. should should be uh, aware of it. But it was really hard. And then for me, I could not take it everything. And then I went back because I was in a hostel. I was with another 18 young refugees who were from different countries. Mm-hmm. And mostly we were in, you know, country where the FGM is practiced. Mm-hmm. So... And everybody, actually, I believe that every woman who was there, they have been through such uh, trauma in their own way. And I felt that maybe I should ask. And I was asking questions, even, you know, we weren't speaking the same language, but we knew we all in one common, which is, you know, being a refugee, you know. Then I was chatting with them, and all of a sudden, girls start crying, and then everybody started, you know, explaining how they go through on female circumcision. And I remember one of the girls from Guinea, Mm -hmm. she actually described how she was cut. The way she actually described was kind of a broken glass. Yes. You know? She said that she was cut on that, and on top of that, she was actually put it to heal some kind of traditional stuff, Mm -hmm. not even sew it. Mm -hmm. So in my head, it's coming all those things back saying, it happened to me, but my grandmother 
brother did to me, who was actually uh, a doctor, and I didn't have the, all the necessary, um, you know, injection to kill the pain or anything, but uh, I was cut and I was actually sewed by. Mm -hmm. But uh, looking at this woman saying that she was cut with a broken glass, that even in my head, I actually could not take it anymore because it was too much. And I mean, thinking of like all these beautiful women sitting in one room and talking yeah. about how they gone through and, you know, hearing such things. So I said, you know what, we have to talk to We have to tell these people that this is our culture and this is normal. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can get the help we, we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is actually whole reason I started. started actually to become the spokesperson of the campaign mm -hmm. without knowing where I'm going to start, mm -hmm. without knowing what consequence I will face within the community, not only, you know, the community that I'm from, but the, the rest of the community who practice on the issue. Mm -hmm. But I felt that I need to start somewhere that people can understand. Yeah. So that was the community that I was from. So I actually went to uh, one of the Somali leaders in Ireland and I said, I need to speak to the women's group and I need to tell them that and also know about um, their feelings on female genital mutilation and their feelings about living in Ireland because now we come to new culture and we have to actually learn and we have to teach them. <laughs> then we organized a women's group and... And then there was also a man there because, you know, whatever we do, I believe that the man are the solution. So because, you know, they are the part of the life. Mm -hmm. And also uh, when we say women are actually making decisions, mm -hmm. the man also make decisions for the child. Mm -hmm. So we invite them. And I, during the talk, I remember there was old man was sitting there and he said to me, OK, now you are trying to say that... Um, this was in this was in, in Ireland. Dublin. This was among, among a Somali community. Within the Somali community. Yeah. They say now you are trying to actually say that FGM should not be practiced in Ireland, mm -hmm. because if I don't cut my daughter, which means I will not have the, you know, the dowry, which is like, an an inheritance, like or like a so. As I understand it, one of the reasons why this practice continues that you know, in order for there to be a dowry or or a um, like an inheritance of some kind, that the 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 FGM has to have occurred on 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 the on the wife to be. Yeah, I mean, like uh, for example, the father said that if I don't cut my daughter, I will not have the the dowry, which is in a cultural way. Uh, if the father uh, gives his daughter to somebody who's mm -hmm. going to marry her. Uh, he he he's expecting to get maybe hundred camels, mm -hmm. which he say that I will not get the best price. Mm -hmm. But also is a sexuality control because they say that if the young girls are not cut and mutilated, when she grows she will go above and then she will you know uh, become sex addicted or whatever. And then that is not true because there is a million women around the world who are not cut and they live in their life the way they want. But um, is it because of, you know, and also some people, they say it's a religion, but it has nothing to do with religion. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural practice. Yes. It's a traditional. It's a mentality of mother um, for many generations who felt that, um, you know, uh, she, she felt that 
my grandmother was scared. My mother was scared. My auntie was scared. Mm-hmm. I am scared. Yes. My daughter have to go through. Yes. Yeah. So it's just allowing that pain to to your child. Yes. Yeah. So it's really hard to actually get into that on your head, and then mm-hmm. that is why, for example, Somalia is a ninety-eight percent girls are cut. Yes. Yeah. Which is really high number, you know. Ninety-eight percent is only two girls that are not cut. If you look at the whole other women's, you know, if you look generation to generation, the, all of them they've been cut. So, is is a culture that actually have in power to the community and the society, and mother also sometimes they play a big role because it's like saying, "I've been through this, and you have to go through," yeah. and mothers are allowing their child to suffer, yeah. and. First, she knows when she gets first time her period, she knows the pain. Mm-hmm. Second, when she got married, she knows the pain she will feel when she have the baby. She knows the pain when actually you know uh, because FGM is is actually it, the consequence she will have is that kidney failure, uh, mm-hmm. different infections, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving birth to child and yeah. during the marriage, people can die for different yes, uh, consequences. Yeah. yeah, as you said, it causes huge issues with even simple bodily functions and then, you know, processes of birth, menstruation, u- urination, etc. It causes huge, huge issues for the rest, possibly for the rest, rest of, of the No, I mean, like, it actually, it has an impact on your life. Mm-hmm. For me, even as an activist now, I moved on being a victim to be a survivor and to become, you know, this person. But it's still, actually, it has an impact in my life because whenever I think about it, I just feel like it's in your body in, in many different ways, whether you have your period or whether you have a, you know, baby or whether... You, so it's, it's just... It's a trauma and it's actually physical and emotional. Is It affects... Your life. So can I ask, um, you, you, you said a, a big moment was when you were speaking to other women who had been through that on this side, uh, so in Ireland, and then that, that, that kind of reawakening, um, you know, elements of that trauma. Is it something that, that women share and talk about in Somalia, What share with each other what that experience is like and, and the significance of, of that and, and that as a traumatic thing and as, as something that is... no. The issue is that in Somalia, you know, we grew up in a culture and we grew up in a tradition. It's just normal. For example, now as a, as you know, working on Ifra Foundation and working in Somalia, one mm-hmm. uh, a mother died because during her you know baby deliver, mm-hmm. or she has a fistula. They actually say that her time is up. Nobody acknowledges that what she have been through. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, let's say the women in IDBs, in a personal displaced, come, if she's having a baby and she doesn't have the facility to go to hospital or even, uh, you know, anyone to deliver the baby as fast as possible, mm-hmm. she could actually cu- cut pushing the baby and she can bleed for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people there, they just say she died. I have to say, I mean, it's harrowing. I mean, it wasn't so long ago we had we had with legislation here in Ireland that would have allowed for the very same thing, you know. And I don't know, a practice like, as you describe it, and, and this is just from from my opinion. I mean, it's it's something that punishes women for being women exactly. on, at birth or in their young ages. We still have practices here that oftentimes in, in Western in Western countries we just punish women after they have engaged in 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 sexuality, you know. But 
Can I ask you, what year did you arrive in, 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 into Ireland? I came to Ireland in 2006. In 2006? Yes. And within six years, you, you, were, you were elemental in, in ensuring that legislation passed in Ireland that banned the practice here. Yes, because um, I felt that whatever happened to me, that should not happen to young girls who are born and raised in Ireland. And I make sure that uh, this message, Irish government get it, the medical get it, and also, you know, everyone who cares get them th- this message about uh, protecting young girls who are born and raised in Ireland because yeah. they should they don't have to go through the pain we all been through. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I've been I've been naughty. I mean, like I remember in, when I started the campaign, um, I didn't know where to start, but I had a young African group and I set up a youth club called United Youth of Ireland, and then through United Youth of Ireland. I felt that what young people can do is fashion and, you know, um, talents and things like that. And I felt it was very important that, uh, because what you're talking about is a sensitive subject mm-hmm. on female genital mutilation. So I felt how can I actually steal the heart of the young people? And then we set up different, you know, activities in terms of talents and fashion show and all that. And then... Uh, we, I started with a small group and then I felt that it was going really big. And then I seen, you know, we became a big on social media, just sharing photos and things like that. And then I felt that, you know what, it works. And then we started uh, Beauty Bridge called Miss Ethnic Island. And then yeah, we, <laughs> we just had, and also we had no money, we had nothing, but we could have the best hotels mm-hmm. to actually go and have events. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because we... I meet a lot of people who do care the cause yes. and support us in different way. Give uh, you a space. Yeah, to, to... Spaces to organize things. Mm-hmm. And then when I feel the young people are taken in, that is when I find it that we should then talk to Irish government because the FGM bill, it was in the parliament since 2001. I see. Okay. So it was just there. Okay. It was not something that just passed. to start. Yeah. So imagine in 2001 till 2006, it was under the table. Yeah. So for me, it was it 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 is my culture, but it is something that we can actually destroy it and say this should not be actually happening in this country or elsewhere. <laughs> then I started actually saying, who is the good person to? lobby on the uh, Irish government. And I was so lucky I meet with Joe Castlow and then uh, his wife, who was then the mayor of Dublin. And one night we were hosting uh, one of the beauty budget and then she was mayor of Dublin. And I said, oh, uh, Joe was supposed to come and he couldn't make it. Then he actually said, if my wife comes, and I was like, even, you know, much better because she was then mayor of Dublin. I was like, that's good. And she came and then she became a member of European Parliament. Okay. And actually, she took our voice into European level. I see. Just just back on and the first conversations that you had you had here when you started speaking to people. Did you mm-hmm. find here in Ireland that when you spoke to to women from the Somali community that they were they were willing and they were this was a, a topic they wanted to address and a, that you know or was it was it difficult at first? Um, the problem is that you know when you look at and you say this is man's show, mm-hmm. it just says like. Because women are married, women have a father, women have a grandfather, and they believe that if they speak out, mm-hmm. the man they may against them. Mm-hmm. 
So even if they want to speak out, they cannot speak in openly. So from beginning, the whole whole community has against me actually. Not only is necessary they have Somalis, but every countries that actually practice on FGM would call me and say a lot of bad things. Even I was told that I was going to be killed and things like that. I lived in Dublin and I have to move from Dublin to Drogheda just to escape. But um, I have to come back again and say, no, I am not going to run away. Because first time when I came to Ireland, I was told I have a voice. And, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I, I, I said, you know what, I am going to go back and say I have a voice. So I come back and continue the work. Pride Power podcast will explore the UN's 17 Global Goals, a series of objectives that aims to end extreme poverty, reduce inequality, and tackle climate change by 2030. To take action on any of these issues we talk about on the show, go to globalcitizen.org slash crypower and get involved. So you said the IFRA Foundation was set up in 2010. Yeah. I mean, 2012, that legislation was, was passed. So, I mean, it's incredible very short period of time. As a result of that legislation, the very first trial has only just occurred now. It's December last month, only a few weeks ago, I believe the first couple mm. have been, will be taken to court for performing FGM on, on their daughter, on their one-year-old daughter, I believe. So, you know, that's already a very, very tangible, uh, mm. you know. It, it, it's really great because, you know, um, um, it's sad that because, you know, young girl, she's already been damaged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it shows that the the legislation is working mm-hmm. because, you know, the family have damaged little girl, but they have to face the consequence. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, it, always the, the issue is that the consequence and uh, the life damage that little girl will leave rest of her life, the family, they might go to prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And come out in certain time. Yeah, yeah. But her is hair is forever. growing. It's forever. Yeah. So it's very important that we should actually um, find a way that you know people to inform that there is a legislation, but they cannot practice. Of course, I know the three the three main goals. There's the three main goals for yeah. the Ifra Foundation. And I mean, one what there is because of this legislation, I suppose. I know education and awareness is one of the is one of the main goals for the Ifra Foundation. I know um, there's awareness, uh, advocacy, and community, uh, yeah, community uh, empowerment. So. Yeah. So, for example, now, because I went back to Somalia, because I felt that I remember sitting in European Parliament with the European Commission and Home Affairs and a lot of members of Parliament and some of the ministers, and, you know, saying, you know, if there was an Irish person in the room, how much they will proud of you as, you know, champion of being uh, the voice and becoming a, a voice for the whole European level. So I felt that, okay, if I had a, a voice in Ireland and I could do something in Europe, mm-hmm. I could do something in Somalia. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Somalia first time when I get my passport. What year was this? Do you mind me in asking? 2014. Okay. okay. That's when I actually got my passport and I went to Somalia Knowing, knowing nothing where I'm going to start because, you know, a country that I ran away because of the war and yeah. country that is still is in danger and all that. I just went there because I get sponsored by uh, uh, an island. So I went there and 
In 20 days, I spent it in IDBs. This 20... IDBs. Uh, uh, the personal displaced. Okay, yes, yeah. 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 I spent it there because... I wanted to understand how young girls are growing and how female genital mutilation is practiced in the, the, the IDB. So my 20 days, it was all about buying sweets, uh, buying balls and mm-hmm. playing with kids and just being happy with those kids. And then I remember the practice was big in, in Somalia still. And I remember I met with three, three little girls that who was going through cutting in... Two days later, after, and it was so upsetting because, you know, as an activist, I could not really let that happen. Mm-hmm. So I have to save those girls whichever way I can. So I was, um, I went back and I called my friend. I was like, okay, there is a girl that will be cut on Friday. What can I do? And I say, follow your heart and do what you feel like doing it. And you know a country that you already told that the dangers and you know mm. things can happen mm-hmm. and you and you, don't. Were, you, were, you have been receiving threats of yeah. every kind, you know, while you were in Ireland for for. And, and the funny thing is that before I even went to Somalia, I did interview with Irish Times, and then Irish Times was on the biggest Somali website actually linked with it, and mm-hmm. then uh, already people knew that <laughs> that my cause and including my family, you know, and it was so, I, I didn't know how to deal with all that. So I, end of the day, I really want to save the girls yeah. and that's what I wanted. And the guy said to me, follow your heart. So I was like, okay, what can I do? I find the best solution quicker and I have to actually meet with the family because first thing I need to know was $100, how much money is Somali money? Yeah. So uh, $100 was like more than... 10 million or 4 million, 5 million Somali money. Yes, yeah. And this woman who cut in her daughter, she walks, she goes uh, domestic work in the morning and she earns maybe $1. Okay. So $100 is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Then I went to them and I say, okay, I give you money if you don't cut your daughter. But a lot of questions come back to me. Why do you want not to cut? Mm-hmm. Have you not been cut? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your what is yeah. your what's beneficial your, what, and yeah, all that? What's your, what's your agenda here? What's your motivation? Then I have to say I was not cut and I lived in Nairobi and I told them that I was told that it's very bad and risk and danger and all mm-hmm. that. And then, oh, yeah, give us the money. We're not going to cut. Okay. I was like, no way. I'm not going to give you the money till we have the deal done, yes, you know, yeah. that I know the girls are not cut. So one way to actually do that was making the, everyone to swear the Holy Quran. Okay, okay. So, you know, that was not the really best solution forever, but something I could do quicker. Yeah, yeah. I have to pay $300 for three families, and I have to save that three girls. But same time, I could not stay in the IDBs, the, the personal displaced, because imagine I did that, and they told all the neighbors that, oh, this lady is giving money. Giving out $100 for, uh, yeah, yeah. For yeah. not cutting your daughter, and yes. then... I, they have a girls who are cut and they lined up and they said, give us the money. It was very hard. Mm-hmm. But still, I said, if I can save one girl's life, I will continue being here. And, you know, my voice has made a difference mm-hmm. because, um, as you said, uh, the awareness and then education for the community and all that. Um, I did uh, advocacy and awareness with the religious leaders, media. So... <clears throat> I worked with the Global Media Campaign is actually 
uh, it was set up uh, under the Guardian in UK, and now they become a separate entity, and now it's called GMC, Global Media Campaign. And the leader is actually a former Irish journalist, very well known, Mary, uh, Maggie O'Kane. Okay. And I remember and when I meet with her, I say, Maggie, are we... When I meet her, I meet her here, and I say, uh, can you do something in Somalia? And she say, no, I am not going to Somalia. She said, I've been in Bosnia, I, I reported war zone. I am not going to Somalia. Mm -hmm. I have a girls to raise, no yeah. Ifra, I am not going. Mm -hmm. Then I said, okay, no problem. Maybe you can support me to do something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, GMC was actually uh, working in six African countries, including Nigeria and Kenya and then Gambia. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted that, you know, to have that opportunity other activists have yes. in Somalia. Yeah, that support, yeah. 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 But, you know, uh, I actually, I was so lucky to change Maggie's head. <laughs> I went to her, I take her to Somalia. Mm -hmm. First time we went to a place called Budland and we educate 60 people, mm -hmm. from religious leader to media to civil society. The one we did in Budland, we supposed to have in Mogadishu, but there was a car bomb which killed 1,000 people. Yeah, October uh, 2017, and injured 500 people. Oh, my goodness. So Maggie was shocked because I was just worried about Maggie because, you know, it was very sad. But then we decided we're not going to go. Mm -hmm. But in 2000, and uh, we went, I took Maggie to Mogadishu, actually. After this? Yeah. And this is what happened. We did the trip. You're not to be deterred. You see the you're Irish. Not, there's nothing, there's but nothing. I said, you know, Irish people are not different in Somalia because they're crazy. <laughs> so because Maggie okay. said she was not going to Somalia because she been uh, reporting in war zone and yes. she has a girls to raise. Yeah. But um, mm -hmm. but we were so good and we were so lucky as the Ifra Foundation to save twenty girls to death for bleeding. Oh. Wow. And um, in 2018. I remember I, uh, it was my birthday and I was in Morocco with uh, Sammy Leslie and I get a phone call about different areas for young girls because our documentary, we've been actually broadcast national and international level and we used so much on social media. So people really get the message and people on rural area, we had message on the radios, um, like for example, VOA, they did interview with me and then... Um, what they call BBC, and then all local radios. Mm -hmm. So the family of daughters, when they cut their girl and they find out this girl who died for bleeding, they rush to hospital. Mm -hmm. So I was asked if I could support them. So we saved the 20 girls for dying for bleeding, yeah. sending in different hospital. Yeah. And that was really good because, you know, at least the people get the message. Mm -hmm. No stopping, yeah. but... If they cut and the child is bleeding, they run to hospital. Yes, yeah. Something you had said earlier on in relation to to FGM, and that it's a conversation that you have to bring men into because it is a practice that is perpetuated by by men. It is, and it's also a mentality. It's men seeking to control women's bodies and women's sexuality, and similar with violence against women, yeah, which is that is perpetrated by men. A conversation that requires bringing men into it. Um, in, in your view, what, what is it that, that men could be doing to better educate themselves and to help out on that issue? 
I think the, the old man can become a champion. Like even look, you just mentioned about gender-based violence. And if you actually organize something on GBV, uh, in, let's talk about even Ireland, because uh, there is a conference about gender-based violence. And mostly there will be women and you can see only one or two men because man feels that this is women's issue. But till that mentality of this is women issue, nothing will change. Not because of female genital mutilation, but gender-based violence. One man are involved is one actually, because men are part of the solution. Because, you know, they are actually there to make the decision as well. And also the other, some of the men, not all, but some of the men who are actually violated for women. So they should be part of the conversation and they shouldn't, should not see this is women's issue. Till that it stops women's issue, nothing will actually go right because man sees this is women's issue. And actually on female genital mutilation, also the father is the one who makes decisions. So he have to be involved and he have to be the champion. And I think we have, um, like for example, Barkad, he is Somalian uh, actor, uh, Abdi Barkad, and he is on the uh, the movie. And, you know, he is a great support. I mean, like he believes that FGM should not be practiced. But we need more men to say no. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, it it will be possible to actually end. If you find yourself inspired or angry, This podcast isn't just about talking. It's about making change happen. And you can do that right now. You can head to globalcitizen.org slash crypower to take action on these issues. This is Hosier, and you're listening to my CryPower podcast. I believe, is it out in in March March of of 2020? There's a film based around your story. The Girl from Mogadishu? Yeah. It was received positively among... among, Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... uh... You see, my story, it might be mine, but it was a story connected with a lot of women because um, there was a question and answer, and then I, I never had a long question and answer what we had in Nairobi because there was a lot of people want to ask questions. And then also, most of the women who spoke out, they say that you are telling our story, you are telling our mother's story. So that actually how I believed myself, that I am not just telling my story. I'm telling the story of every woman in, in, you know, the society that uh, where all this issue come from. So that was really good and positive. And it was, uh, hopefully we will take next year in Nairobi again, and then Somalia, <laughs> as I hope. And then uh, how the movie came up. Uh, I meet with the Irish filmmaker um, in France. There was a lady who did a documentary called too much pain. It was for UNHCR, and too much pain. It was talking about female genital mutilation. So the lady said that no, uh, she was in. They did. They do some work with the young African filmmakers. So she said to me, "I should actually. You should come to uh, Monaco, and they were doing something in, during the Cannes Film Festival." So she said to me, you should come and meet with the directors and filmmakers and, you know, everyone and see what you can do beyond. So uh, we chat and she say, are you a filmmaker? Or she asked me questions and then I say, no, I am not uh, that part of the world. I am actually an activist. And I told her what I do. And then I remember she we've been backward and forward and she asked me if I could uh, sit on the front of the camera and actually 
give my testimony about, you know, on my life. And then we were in Galway. I remember there was a film festival in Galway and I was in a hotel for two days just sitting in front of the camera and talking about... Intense few days. Yeah, yeah, just sitting there and talking about the whole issues that happened in Somalia and, you know, my life being a refugee and how I get my voice in this country and how I become, you know... Um, champion for campaigning on FGM. And I remember Mary say, Ifra, I cannot promise, but uh, I will do something that really means something to you and to the world. And in my head, whenever she says to me, I don't know what I can do, but, you know, because she felt it was taking time. I just think of, like, you know, for me as a woman who've been... Well, like if you think about Somalia, first thing people comes to head is, especially young Irish. If you ask about Somalia, the first, first, first thing they get in the head is the pirates. Okay, right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I went to different places, and I was like, I ask a lot of yeah. young people. I say, do you know Somalia? And they say, mm-hmm. oh, I come here, that uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the place with the Somali yeah, pirates. Somali pirates yeah. And then, you know... It, Rock stars of the criminal world, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. So the first thing people come in the head is the pirate. And then, you know, uh, the war. And then also, yeah. for me, being a refugee, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So me, when Mary says, oh, I see what I can do, things come to my head is that, women who is a refugee, women who actually people say that you're from the pirate country, or women who people say that you actually <laughs> refugee in there. So I don't know if it's possible to do something. But she really made it to be possible, and then she mm-hmm. made the movie, and it's really positive. And it might be my story, as I always say, but it's a story of every woman. It's, that yeah, is absolutely. It's a story of countless women, yeah. you know, I'm sure. I'd love to ask you as well, too, as well, just because... You know, the times we're living now at the moment, um, there is, you know, like a a global refugee crisis. And just speaking to your experience as a refugee and as a refugee who who, who came to, uh, somebody who came to Ireland as a refugee, what was that experience like for you coming into Ireland? And I'm sure the trip there, incredibly difficult one, but for people not only in Ireland, but people in in other countries who want to make it a more welcoming space and, and, and provide a more welcoming space and make, make that transition easier for people who, who are, are seeking a, a new home and a, a safe place to, 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 to call home. It's good you ask because, you know, uh, this takes me back to when I first come to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And because I remember, because I wear a scarf, and I go and take a bus mm-hmm. and my daily life and just do things that people do. I go to English class and all that. And then sometimes when I go in different areas and I take the bus, young people, they just put my scarf. They throw things. And I never been angry, mm-hmm. but I felt that I should tell them why I am here. Mm-hmm. And it was very important for me to actually meet with the youth and then the place I was going to English classes I told them that I want to share my personal refugee status mm-hmm. to the Irish young people so I went to schools I carry a lot of scarves right. and then boys girls I just tell them to wear the scarves and then also uh, 
because I worked with the uh, YMCA youth, I worked with National Youth Council of Ireland, I worked with different schools in Ireland. I just went to volunteer my time to educate them and just talk about. Is this recently or is this when you... When, you, when I first come to Ireland. <laughs> How did you, because again, there's not, I mean, there's fantastic, there's fantastic like initiative and leadership in, in getting to the point where you're engaging in local schools and, and talking to children about your experience. How did you, how did you get to that point? Well, because, you know, I, I, as I said, like when they pull my scarf, I never been angry, but I felt that I have to share my experience. So I just went and tell them that I am refugee. I left my country because there is a war. Mm -hmm. I came here for better life. And then talk about, you know, 100,000 of Irish people who left the country to seek a better life Mm -hmm. and ask them questions. How would they feel if they were in America and they were told that, go back to your country or, you know, such things? And they say, that's not good. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm I'm like that. Mm -hmm. Put me in that way. Mm-hmm. And this is my identity because I am a Muslim woman. I wear this scarf because I was born to where I was grow up and all that. Mm-hmm. So I felt that I am one of the global citizens and I have to actually adopt this culture and educate the people around me. Mm-hmm. So I never ever say that because, you know, sometimes when people talk about racism and things like that, I just get angry. I say, look, don't say that. Don't say Irish people are racist or young people are racist. Just go and educate them. Mm-hmm. Just make them understand you personally, mm-hmm. why you're here. Mm-hmm. But they will understand. And how can, let's say, f- for me as an Irish person or other people, or other people who are in other countries that will be accepting, possibly will be accepting, you know, um, refugees, how can they be more welcoming or how can they make that transition easier for people coming into the country, I suppose? Um, <laughs> you know, when I came to Ireland, I didn't like about, uh, bread and butter. Didn't but like bread I, and butter? <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never know what complex is, but yeah. I eat complex. It's very bland, you know? to be fair. <laughs> but uh, the truth is that if I want to leave this country, I have to actually adopt that all and say, you know what, this is now my new life. Mm-hmm. So... For me, because people, they say that you are a very happy person because, for example, if I'm silent and I go somewhere, they say, what's wrong with you today? Mm-hmm. Where is that, you know, smiley face? I just go like, no, I am tired. <laughs> so, you know, people kind of know me, somebody who's very charming and just talkative and all that. So for me, you know, whatever has happened to me has happened. Mm-hmm. I cannot carry my past with me. Mm-hmm. I have, you know life to lead and mm-hmm. I have things to learn. So I just moved my past and I wanted to do something new and try things. And also uh, integration is the, you know, the best key. And because I was lucky, I was going to English class and the English class, they helped me to go into the community and talk yes. to them. So yeah. I actually force myself because I want to learn quick so I can do work. I, I can speak out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ifra, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the, the Cry Power podcast. Um, can I ask you what you're most, what you're most proud of in the last, last few years? Uh, yeah, um, actually for uh, FGM Bill passed in Ireland mm-hmm. and legislate. I remember I was in somewhere in town and uh, I get a phone call from Joe Costello and he said to me, the bill is passed. 
I sit down on the ground and I just cried for happiness because um, I, I've been campaigning a lot and, you know, I've been on sitting on the table with the debates and all that. And I feel that now, you know, the bill has passed and this will make sure no girl will go through on female circumcision. So that is something I was very proud and uh, because... Um, I was blackmailed by the community. I've been fighting for hard. I've been campaigning a lot. And now I feel that, you know, it has been paid off. So that is something I can say. I was so proud. I'm glad. And can you, so just for listeners as well at home, if they want to support the IFRA Foundation, where would they, where would they, where would they head to? Well, uh, we have IFRA Foundation website, and it's ifrafoundation.org. Mm-hmm. And also they can uh, find us on Twitter, and they can find us on uh, Facebook. Um, I always say that uh, when we ask support, not only money that actually do something, but Tesco say every little helps. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, everything that, you know, people can support is, yeah. you know, bringing message out and telling people and whatever support they can give to the foundation because we are making a difference for lives of young girls who mm. are going through female genital mutilation and who are at risk. Yeah, okay. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for, thanks for Thank joining us. Thank you. And I is made in association with Global Citizen, a movement of activists all over the world who are using their collective voice to end extreme poverty by 2030. You can head to globalcitizen.org slash crypower to take action on any of the issues we talk about on this show and earn tickets to gigs all over the world by signing petitions, writing emails, or sending tweets to world leaders. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Crypower podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Hosier, and this is Cry Power.